Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of a senior's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. Today's episode is about personal emergency response systems for older adults. And I'll be talking with Richard Caro, PhD, a physicist and former technology entrepreneur who is the co-founder of Tech Enhanced Life, a public benefit corporation with the mission of improving the quality of life of aging adults and their families. Last year, Richard and his colleagues completed a practical research project meant to help answer a common question, which is, which medical alert system should I buy for myself or for an older relative? Based on this work, Tech Enhanced Life created an online guide to personal medical alert systems and also a selection tool. This project was of great interest to me because patients and families often do ask me which type of device or service they should get, especially when it comes to an older person who's living alone. And often, I haven't been quite sure what to tell them or how to provide any guidance on how they can find a device that is going to work well and is going to work well for them. So I've really appreciated Richard's recent work on this topic, especially since we're in a time when new technologies mean that better devices may soon be available. And I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast today to share his insights on finding and using these devices. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. So I thought we might want to start just with the basics and have you tell us a little bit about what exactly is a personal emergency response system. Sure. So they come in several different shapes and sizes, but the way to think about it is it's a small um, pendant or wrist-worn object. It usually has a button on it and it's designed so that if something bad happens, like a person falls over and hurts themselves or has a heart attack, um, the concept is that they push the button and then help comes. And I'm sure we'll probably talk about what that means as we go along, but that's kind of the big picture. So it's a way to summon help in the event of some kind of emergency And I guess all kinds of people can have emergencies, but historically, they've been especially marketed for older adults. And we probably all remember some of the um, TV advertisements with an older person who who had fallen and uh, uses the device to get help, right? Yeah. But you know what's really interesting? Um, First of all, that's definitely still how they're mostly marketed. But um, there are some emerging directions that I think are really interesting. One is younger people are starting to get interested in things like this for a somewhat different purpose. And they, you know, they sometimes have different names, but they're the same concept. For example, uh, there are some that are now being heavily marketed to college age kids who want something to keep them safe when they're walking around campus at night and worried about getting attacked. Um, oh, and then in addition, yeah. And then in addition, um, the ones that are being marketed for older adults, they're starting to be marketed not just for 
emergencies, you know, like I had a stroke or something, but for lesser type, quote, emergencies, um, you know, my car broke down on the highway, I need some help, almost more like concierge type services. So they're broadening out a bit from their original um, purpose. Okay. Well, let's focus for now on the, uh, on what I get asked about the most, yep. which, uh, is some kind of device for an older person who lives alone. Okay. Those are the situations where I see families most concerned and sometimes older people themselves, because sometimes they know somebody who had something happen at home and it took longer than, um, than ideal to get help. I mean, sometimes it can take hours and Every once in a while, we hear a really scary story about somebody who's injured or down for, for even a day or two before they're found. So let's focus right now on that particular um, situation, since that's what I get asked about the most. Good. And so for these devices, which are sometimes abbreviated PERS, personal emergency response systems, who is mostly buying them these days? Do you know if it's mostly older adults buying them for themselves or is it mostly families or I've even seen a lot of facilities seem to have everybody wearing one. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So there's really two segments of the market. Um, there are certainly facilities or places where older adults live, you know, some sort of institutional living a setting where the facility provides one of these to everybody who lives there when they move in. There are there, there are lots of those sort of circumstances. Um, that type of product needs to work a bit differently than the one you might have in your own house. Um, the the marketing is heavily focused though on consumers, and so that's for designed for somebody who lives alone in their own house. And those products are sometimes bought by the older adult. They're often bought by their friends or family. You know, it's it's um, it varies a little bit. So there are those two segments. There's the at-home type product and then the in-the-facility type product. Okay. So it sounds like if if um, if you're a boomer concerned about your, your older parents, but you go and visit your older aunt in her facility and she's wearing one of these devices, that's not necessarily the device that would work for your parent who might be living at home alone. No, I mean they look very similar. It's not you probably can't tell the difference just by looking at them, but they have some subtle differences. For example, the ones in the facilities, typically when you press the button, they're designed to have someone from the facility respond, whereas the ones that are at home, you know, they're designed to have um, ultimately have 911 come. So, I think that gets at something, you know, important that people are often not sure which one to pick. And in your work doing this, you tried to kind of identify the key things that people should consider in order to pick a, uh, I guess it's both a device and a service, right? Yeah. It's kind of a package that combines mm -hmm. the two. And so what did you discover? And now when people say, how do I find a good one for my dad who lives home alone? What's the sort of short version of, uh, of how you help them think about the important things? Yeah. I wish there was a short version. Uh, there's sort of a long version that, you know, we, uh, we've put on our website. But the short version is that I've decided there's no such thing as the best product, but there is sometimes the best product for a specific person. And, you know, what I really have come to learn is that there's this whole spectrum of different reasons people have for wanting one of these products. And then there's different life circumstances they have. 
And based on that, you know, there's a whole kind of profile about the person. Based on that, there's, a, you know, a subset of features that really matter for them. And if you kind of match the features that matter with the type of person, you end up with a shortlist. And within that shortlist, there are some that are better than others. Um, but, you know, if you're the sort of person who entirely stays inside their one-room apartment and never leaves, you need a very different sort of product than if you're the sort of person who's frequently going off out and about, um, you know, walking in the woods or going to the shopping center or something like that. So you really have to start with a focus on the person and what their, you know, lifestyle's like. So you mentioned reasons for wanting it and life circumstances. What are a couple of kind of common reasons for wanting it that, that help point people in one direction or another for these devices? Yeah. You know, we have these um, circles of older adults that meet once a month to chat about um, challenges of getting older and look at technologies and things. And um, th- this, this um, I've learned a lot from those groups about this exact question and what you see marketed is this idea of, you know, the little old lady who fell over and broke her hip and lay on the floor for a, a day, you know, that, that, and that's one use case. And there are certainly some older adults who worry about that. But then there are other people who worry more about, for example, having some sort of cardiac event, sudden cardiac arrest, for example, a heart attack, for example. Um, and so, you know, that's really very different. And if you think about those two things, the performance of the device has to differ in one case than from the other. So if you worry about some sort of cardiac event, you probably need something that will summon help within minutes for it to be useful. Mm. Whereas if you're worried about not lying on the floor for two days you know, while someone comes and finds you, the minutes is no longer the relevant timescale. So those are kind of two examples of why people want them. And then some people say, well, I'm I'm often at home in the house, but then when I go out, you know, I'm usually with people, so therefore it's mainly at home I need it, right? That's one example. A different group of people will say something different. They might say, you know, actually I live with my wife or my husband at home, and so I'm not so concerned with it at home, What I but I love to go for little walks in the marine headlands, say, or, you know, some nice countryside or the park and what I actually really worry about is when I'm off going for that walk by myself you know what if I fell over and had an accident there and so those are two very different circumstances and again there are products that work both for for each of those different circumstances but they're probably not the same product. Well that's really interesting to to think of it that way and before I forget I just want to mention to the audience that to help people sort of work through these um Uh, figure out what are the subset of features that are going to be most relevant to them. You've actually developed this uh, selection guide, which is on the website and is free for people who register for the website, right? That's correct. And you have both a selection guide and uh, a learning module. Do you recommend that people, do you find that it's really important for people to do the learning module first? Well, let me give you a bit of background to that to help answer that. I think it depends a lot on the person. So, you you know, if I go back to when I started working on this, I initially actually thought that I would do a bit of Googling and I would find all this very useful information that compared different products. And all I would need to do is write a little article saying, here, you can find out about this stuff, you know, at the following website address. But I didn't find that at all. What I found was first... There are over 50 different products now in my list 
um, that fit into this category of emergency response systems. And I did not find a single place on the internet where there was any sort of objective comparison of them. I found lots of pretend review sites where people, you know, paid to have their products endorsed, but nothing, you know, that was useful. There was no kind of consumer reports or anything like that 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 um, covered these. And so, so that's really why I decided there was a piece of work that needed to be done here. And what I really wanted was something that an individual could use to quickly answer this question of, well, which one should I buy? And as I thought about that, my first thought was, well, that individual, you know, they don't really want to become the world's expert on this topic. They just want the answer. So I pictured a sort of simple tool where you'd enter a few things and it would spit out the answer. And and that is, in fact, what our selection tool does. You know, you you answer a few questions and it gives you a list of products that sort of would, should work for you based on the answers to those questions. And we built that first. And in the process of building that, I had to study all the products and buy them and test them and learn what the questions were that needed to go in this tool. You know, so that was kind of part of the learning. Um, but then when I built the tool, I realized, I learned by showing it to some people that some people said, fabulous, this is just what I need. You know, it's simple. I know what I want and this helps me answer it. And, and they were totally happy with the selection tool. But some people said, well, hmm, you've asked me this question of who do I want to be the responder? Do I want it to be a professional call center or my friends? And you know, I have no idea what I want. <laughs> so I don't know how to use this tool because I don't know how to answer the questions. And so I decided that there needed to be a kind of educational piece that explained what the questions were, helped you understand, you know, which sort of people might want which answers. And that turned into this online course that I built, which by the way, isn't actually free, but you can also access it from the same place. And so I think the way I think about it is if you kind of know exactly what you need and you just need a guide that helps you decide how to turn that into a list of products, the selection tool is the right thing to use. But if you're a bit unclear what you need or why you might need it, then that learning uh, module, which we call a workshop, is, is probably where you need to start. So the selection guide is on the website for people who register for your website and registering is free. Um, And then for people who would like to understand it in greater depth or are sort of finding that the selection tool feels a little difficult because they don't, um, you know, they'd like to understand the, the choices better that are leading to that subset of features, then the online workshop is available to better understand that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can get to them all from the same place. We sort of have a home page thing for this whole project in the Tech Enhanced Life website that can send you either to the selection tool or the workshop. And there's some other material there as well, like all our reviews of the products and things. Well, I'll definitely link to that page that leads people to both options in the show notes. And I'm looking at it right now. I'm have signed up for your site, of course, since um, since I find it's just really terrific and and I enjoy the way you sort of explore these important issues and do it kind of free of commercial influence, which I think is what distinguishes your work from, as you said, those um, other pretend review sites where companies have often paid to be featured, right? Yes, that's right. We we tried hard to really be able to say, you know, we're, we, we want to be independent and objective, and that's kind of the most important thing really for us. 
to just looking at some of the the sort of um, choices that you encourage people to consider was, I see who do you want to be the first responder, and can you just briefly cover those those two uh, the two choices that are available there, professional versus non. I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of this whole topic. And I have to say, I didn't even understand this at all when I started. And I I bet you most of your listeners don't either, because this is completely not discussed in all of the marketing material. And so here's here's the um, the high level uh, you know overview. So so if you have one of these emergency response buttons. And for some reason, you decide, you know, an emergency happened, I want to press the button. There's the question of, okay, who does that button reach out to call, right? And there are two broad categories of of answer to that. The one that you always read about, the one that's on all the late night television commercials, when you press that button, it goes to what I call a professional responder, which is somebody who sits in a call center somewhere and works for the company that sold you the product or, you know, for a third-party company that's retained by that company that sold you the product. Um, And they're sitting there just waiting to catch your call, right? And that's their job. They're 24-7. And when your button reaches them, um, they, quote, respond. And that response can take several forms. They're really doing triage. So they, they, they usually try and, you know, talk first to the person who pressed the button and discover how bad of an emergency it is. And, you know, they may after that do a variety of things. They might call your friends. They might call 911. Um, they don't come and help you themselves, but they, they, they you know, they're, they're the focal point. So that's one approach. That's the professional 24-7 monitoring. And that has, unsurprisingly, a monthly fee that you pay to the company because, you know, there's somebody sitting there waiting to catch your call every, every 24-7. So that's, that's option A. Option B, which is very, very um, you know, poorly known about, is um, you, there are a handful of these products which look identical. They, they're still a button that you press. But now when you press that button, they call a friend that you have designated. So it might be your child, it might be your next door neighbor, and you've programmed their phone number into this system. Um, the details of how you do that, you know, are probably beyond this call. But anyway, it's not so hard. Um, and when you press the button, it calls that friend. And actually, in the versions, some of the products just let you call one friend. But in the versions that we like, there's a tree. So you program in several friends. And it calls the first friend. And if they don't answer, it calls the second friend. And if they don't answer, it calls the third friend. And if they don't answer, then it calls 911. So it's kind of a tree like that. And um, it's very different to the 24-7 approach. It has some pluses, but it also has some minuses. It's actually hard to say one's categorically better than the other, but they're different. And one of the big differences is that the ones that call your friends and families do not have a monthly fee. Mm. And so that's a big difference, and that's probably why you never hear about them in the marketing. So potentially more affordable for people who maybe are on limited income or who are really sort of concerned about expenses. I think so. I think, you know, in our tool, um, well, especially, I don't know if this is captured very well yet in our tool, but certainly in our workshop, you know, the cost is a relevant factor, right? And so some people 
will say, well, I want the best and the cost is not necessarily the most important thing for me. But some people will say, actually, uh, the cost is really what I care about most. And, you know, whether it's best or has frills or bells and whistles is a bit secondary. And for the people where the cost is the number one thing, these, um, you know, they do tend to gravitate to this, uh, this approach where there's no monthly fee. Well, I'm so glad you clarified that because, you know, when I, when, uh, I remember seeing, you know, one of your webinars where you went through um, some of what you had discovered and the tool, and I remember thinking, it's true, I'd never really considered that. And, you know, there I am, a geriatrician with people often asking mm-hmm. for a suggestion that's actually really important and useful to, to know about. And also, as you're mentioning this, I find myself wondering, so people have a device, you know, some kind of device that they're wearing either around their neck or maybe on their wrist and if they want to get help are they generally able to speak into the device or do they need to be close enough to some kind of base station in the home i'm assuming right now that they're in the home because i know you mentioned that some people have a need for something that will work outside the home and we'll touch a little bit more on that in a moment Mm -hmm. so um how does that work in terms of then being able to to um to speak to whether it's the professional or the the family member that's in the call tree. Well, that's the second most really interesting aspect of all this. So you're you're really hitting the the stuff I love to talk about. Thanks. So, <laughs> um, so the way so so let's dive into that. So you know I talked about the button, right? You press the button, and. The buttons typically are designed to work over quite a wide range of distance, you know. So if it's the ones that only work in your home, they tend to work, you know, the button will kind of call for help. You don't have to be right near the base station. You can usually be, you know, pretty much anywhere in your house. Um, But after you've called for help, the responder is trying to talk to you, as we said. And the products come in two different flavors, actually. One flavor, the traditional one, the one that is by far the most common, um, when the responder tries to, to talk to you, the voice, their voice comes out of this little box of electronics that's sitting by your telephone that I call the base station. It does not come out of the pendant with the button on in, in many of these products, right? And in that case, there's definitely a very important issue of Unless you're right near that base station, you can't hear the responder and the responder can't hear you. I'm going to tell you a little experiment I did about that in a minute. But just to to give you the big picture, some of these products actually have what I call voice in the pendant. And what that means is that when the responder tries to talk to you, their voice actually comes out of that pendant hanging around your neck rather than out of the base station, which is mostly off in some completely different room. So that's actually a very big distinguishing feature, whether the voice comes from the pendant or just from the base station. And I think um, maybe we'll come back to, you know, when's that good and when's that bad. But that's one of the big differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I'll be interested in your thought, but I feel like if you, uh, especially given that so many older adults also may have a hearing impairment, I feel like unless you live in a really small studio or little space, it just seems like an enormous benefit to have that voice independent option. Although I imagine it's a little more expensive because it's probably a little bit more complicated in terms of the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I sort of am inclined to agree with you that it's an important feature and, and good for a lot of people. Interestingly enough, Often the cost is not really related to these various factors. That seems to be a bit independent, the cost. I, I want to just tell you a little anecdote, though, can I? Yeah, um, so, of course, do. You know, when I was testing all these, um, 
I, I decided I had to buy them all and try them out, actually. So I didn't buy all 50, but I bought a representative sample and I spent several months walking around with, you know, five or 10 of these on at any given point in time. And I, I sort of was very curious about this whole business of the voice that we're discussing because in the marketing material, it's very heavily glossed over, right? And they all talk about the range they have. And by that, they mean how far away can the button be from the base station and still work. And that's quite a good distance usually. And that's heavily mentioned in the marketing. And nowhere do they mention the fact that you really need to be quite close to the base station to be able to hear. And if they do, what they mainly say is we have a super sensitive microphone and a super loud speaker, and so this is really not a problem. So anyway, I decided to try it out. So I had this range of, you know, maybe 10 different systems sitting in my home office. And I, one after the other, I would press the button and I would start talking to the person. And I, you know, I did this with each of the systems in turn. And what I, so... I would press the button, I'd be standing near the base station and they'd start talking to me. And I would say, well, this is just a test, but I'd like you to do something for me. And they're always very friendly. And they said, sure. And I said, I'm going to start counting. And I would like you to tell me at what number you can no longer hear me. And then I would start counting and I would walk away from the base station. And I live in a sort of typical San Francisco house, so it's not huge but it's not tiny tiny either you know it has two stories and you know it's it's got quite a few rooms so i did that and first of all more or less the systems were similar so it's not like there was a big difference between the systems and as soon as i got more than one or two rooms away they couldn't hear me and i couldn't hear them Uh, and so uh in my house if i was relying on one of these products where they talk through the base station Unless I was right there in that room or maybe at most one room away, they wouldn't be able to hear me and I wouldn't be able to hear them. And I just think to myself, hmm, I don't know, that's, that's a, bit, a bit limiting really. Right. Yes, absolutely. So, well, that's, a, that's wonderful that you did that experiment. And did you write about that particular experiment on um, the site or did you just incorporate that a little bit into the, uh, you ended up really um, writing a review on your site for each of these um, products you tested, or at least a little synopsis of your impressions. That's right. I did. I kept a little online diary of my test of each product. And so, you know, people can see that if they want. And that's where I did this sort of description. The actual comparative discussion of the voice distances and all that, I haven't really summarized that very nicely yet. I sort of hope to one of these days. But um, I don't know if that... if So that little story I just told you, I'm not sure you will find that on, on the website. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. I mean, that's fascinating. And again, I find myself thinking, well, really, it sounds like you have to be... Um it's important to be aware of that limitation before choosing something that doesn't have the uh, voice independent, I think is, um, is what you said. I think that's right. Can I just go one step further? Oh, of course, do. So, um, so that's 100% right. You know, I think w- the companies that make these, when you listen to their marketing material, you know, they're heavily geared towards the concept of a person who lives in a very small apartment somewhere, you know, so, so that the, a lot of the engineering and, and the marketing is focused on that. And what we're talking about now is for people who don't really live in a, you know, a single room apartment somewhere. And, you know, the, the next step of this, I think, is to ask, well, what would happen if I press the button when I'm down the other, other end of the house and they try and talk to me and they can't hear me and I can't hear them, you know, what would happen next, right? That's what I asked myself. And, and, and so I've discussed this with quite a few of these companies 
and all of the ones I talked to told me the same thing, which was that they would try and reach you, but if they couldn't hear you and you couldn't hear them, they would assume it's an emergency, right? Because maybe you had a heart attack or something or who right. knows. And um, so they, in that circumstance, they will just dispatch 911. So then I asked, well, what happens when 911 comes to your house and you're out in the back garden, you know, weeding the garden or something, but nothing actually bad happened. Um, and the answer is 911 will probably break in your front door unless you've gone to some trouble to give them a key or let them know how to get in. And um, we've had a number of anecdotes now from people who tell us about these scenarios where, yes, they accidentally pressed the button uh, or, or, well, yeah, let's leave it at that. Yes, they accidentally pushed the button and they were somewhere where they couldn't be heard and then 911 came and, you know, someone said to me, yep, my aunt had one of these and she's been through three front doors now because three times oh the front doors were broken down. So I think this whole issue is kind of, you know, it's got some consequences that need some thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. And And also, I mean, this sounds like an opportunity for another potential feature because... I guess none of these pendants um, or devices have, do any of them have a little sort of thing showing you the status where it might be sort of saying, you know, button pressed, we didn't hear from you, 911 now on the way. Do any of them give you that kind of little visual update, which could be really handy also for people who, again, are limited in their hearing? You know, some do actually, and some do not. Um, Some of them actually start talking to you and say things like, you know, we think you're having a problem. We're calling 911 now. So some of them do that quite well. But but they tend to be the ones with the voice through the pendant, in which case, you know, it's less of a problem already. The, the, right. the older-fashioned ones that where they just talk through the base station, often they have nothing at all on the pendant except the button, no, no sort of feedback. Yeah, that's what I usually see, actually. It's just a, a plain uh, pendant. Right. So again, speaking of what's, you know, sort of useful in the real world, um, another one of the other sort of selection items in your selection tool is, is a sort of additional desired performance features. And this one is of particular interest to me, which is auto detection of falls. Uh And, and uh, if you'll um, indulge me, you know, in looking into this myself, and I haven't done anything like the research you have, but uh, I had often heard anecdotally that older adults, when they fall, often don't push the button. Uh And so recently I went back to review that literature. So I did find uh, a study of older adults and they found that 80% of the time when an older uh, person was alone and fell and couldn't get up uh, they uh, and had uh, some kind of alarm system, they did not use the system to summon help. I don't think the study went into exactly the reasons why, but... I'm guessing that either the person was injured and not able to do it. I know that a certain number of people who have these devices um, have memory problems or thinking problems and may not think to do it. And then it seems a certain number of people are kind of embarrassed. So, so given that, what's your thought on the value of uh, automatic fall detection? And did you test this feature to see how well it works when you were doing your, your research? So um, there's a lot in there. Yeah, let me comment on a few of those things. So I, I'm sure you're right that it's it's uh, not infrequent that people um, don't press the button. Um, I've seen statistics too. You know, I'm not certain 80% is a generalizable statistic actually, but um, it's certainly, um, you know, a meaningful number. The other thing I think that's relevant though as well, 
that sort of lends some support to your point in a way is um, I, I think a very common scenario is people have one of these emergency response pendants and um, it lives in the bedside table. And so when they fall, it's not so much that they're wearing the pendant and they don't press the button, it's that they're not wearing the pendant at all. I think that's very common. And perhaps after we're finished with automatic fall detection, we should also talk about why people don't wear them at all. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Because that's really interesting. But, but, to, but automatic fall detection, I think, is a great idea conceptually, right? Um, really, just to um, – I'm not sure in your introduction you, you – um, explain exactly what that was. So let me just um, give you my point of view on that. So the idea is that if you fall, rather than you having to press the button, perhaps this pendant, uh, the emergency response system, has some inbuilt intelligence that lets it notice that you've fallen and after waiting for a bit to make sure you don't get up and a few other things, it, it could automatically trigger this call instead of you pressing the button. That's kind of this automatic detection. And, you know, uh, if it worked perfectly every time, there's, it's, it's only a good thing. Um, it's a great idea. I think the issues that I've seen and the reason I don't think it's always a good idea are, first of all, it's a bit in its infancy, that technology. Um, so they're not perfect. And there's a whole issue to do with false alarms and things like that. And it actually ties very much into that previous conversation we had about the voice because if you think about it, the automatic fall detection is well, – in my experience, they do give false alarms. You know, not a lot, but they do. And so now I'm, you know, I'm increasingly worried about, okay, it's going to give me a false alarm. Someone's going to start talking to me out of that base station up the other end of the house. The next thing I know, people's going to be breaking down my door. Hmm, okay, that's definitely a negative. So I think – the fall detection in my mind, at least for me, you know, I like the idea I probably, if I'm going to have the full de- automatic fall detection, I probably want that voice through the pendant so that I can reduce the, um, the false alarms a bit. So that's one aspect. Then there's a few other kind of reasons why maybe it's just not obvious you always want the automatic fall detection. First, a pendant with fall detection is bigger than one without and it's heavier and these are some reasons why people don't wear them, perhaps. Um, second, it costs more. They all, all the companies charge you extra for this capability. And um, uh, the other thing that's relevant is, um, at least in some products, there's a whole issue with whether you have to recharge the battery in your, in your pendant and things like that. There's what I call the recharging issue. And um, fall detection kind of um, sometimes in some products, moves you from that being annoying to less annoying. Um, so there's a number of kind of countervailing arguments. And I think, you know, I, so I see fall detection as a very interesting, useful feature. And so long as you don't mind all those various things I mentioned, then it's a great idea. But for some people, it's perhaps not. Right. Well, I mean, I think partly people want something that, uh, you know, if they're going to spend the money on it, they want it to, to work. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess work means both, you know, being able to summon help when you want it effectively. And then uh, I think there is the possibility of sort of emergencies where people are unable to uh, to push the button or forget to. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I find it uh, an interesting consideration, but um, but I also particularly see people who are much older and are forgetful. 
Now, you mentioned earlier this other important issue, which is, are they going to actually wear it? Yeah, right? that's right. So what are your thoughts on that? How to address that issue? Yeah, well, that's quite a complex one. Um, and um, first, I've seen some, you know, studies that are, you know, a bit, bit fuzzy, but nonetheless suggest that this is one of the, the most common reasons that these products don't work as well as you like because they're just not being worn. And in our circles of older adults, in our discussions on these, this has come up a lot. And I've sort of come away with this impression that, you know, there's one type of person who says, you know what, I really want this product and I really don't care if it looks horrible and it's really ugly and uncomfortable. That's not important to me. What I care about is I'm safe, so I'm going to wear it no matter what, right? So that's one type of person. But there's another type of person that says um, stuff like, well, you know, this really does not go with my outfit and it's really ugly and it makes me look like I've escaped from the intensive care unit at the hospital. And, you know, I, I really see myself as a person, not as a patient. And I'm just not that pleased to have to wear this thing in public. And, you know, the bigger and uglier it gets, the less likely I'm going to be to wear it. And quite a few of the people that fit that category in my discussions have said things like, well, you know, if I'm alone in my house, I, I probably do wear this sometimes when I remember to put it on. But as soon as I'm going out, I take it off because I will not be seen with this on. And so I think the whole question of how do we make these products less ugly and less heavy and big and inconvenient is really actually a very important one. And, 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 and that's why I touched on it because, um, you know, the more features you add to it, the harder it is for the engineers to make them small and unobtrusive. And so for the sort of person who's really not going to wear it unless it's small, elegant and unobtrusive, you know, maybe it's a better trade-off to make it a bit less perfect, but to have them wear it. Mm -hmm. So you and I live in the Bay Area, a sort of hotbed of uh, innovation and new technologies. And we've both been to these events, uh, conferences and other events where people are presenting great new technology for older adults. And they're often pitching this idea of a stylish uh, bracelet or device mm -hmm. that is going to do wonderful things for, for older adults, for their ability to be safe or to summon help. Have any of them yet been promising or are actually available or are they just all still ideas or is it just still the marketing that again is perhaps being not, not entirely forthright about the abilities of the device? Well, first, I think that the idea of a stylish thing that looks like a piece of jewelry and has the functionality of these products we're talking about is a great concept, right? Um, and you're right, there are a number of startups that have talked about making something like that. Most of those have not yet come to market, right? And so they're kind of vaporware. Um, I hope they will, and I think that'll be good. Um, let me tell you what I found. So first of all, on our website, there is at least one really interesting looking product that looks very elegant and seems like it probably works really well, although I haven't personally tried it. The trouble is it's only available in Europe. You cannot buy it in the US. So if any of you are... Uh, audience uh, is living in Europe. There's, there is one example that looks like it probably works really well and looks really elegant. And which, which one is this? Can you tell me which one that is? The, the one in Europe? The one in Europe. Um, I was hoping not to really start mentioning specific brand names on here, actually. Okay. People will have to look through the... Uh... <laughs> the selection, well, I guess. You know, I'm sort of guessing not a lot of your audience is in Europe anyway. So 
but but yeah, if you don't mind, I'd rather not. But if 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 someone's really interested, they're welcome to send me an email. You can include my email at the end. I'm okay. happy to tell. I will. I just don't want to seem like I'm kind of endorsing a particular product. Right, of course. Um, anyway, so there is that one, right? Um, and and I've talked to that company, and they do hope that one of these days they'll attack the U.S. market, and and that would be great. Um, and then there's um, you know, there was a Bay Area startup that had a product that sort of looked quite nice, actually, which I have one of which was recently acquired by uh, Great Call, which is one of the leaders. And, um, you know, that had promise, actually. I was quite keen on that product, but as I say, it got acquired. And, and Did they ever develop their watch? I think they were sort of working towards a kind of watch. Did they ever develop it or not quite? Sort of. They, so they do have a watch, and I have one, and uh, as does my mother, actually. And... Um, it's sort of okay. You know, it's a first version and uh, it looks nice actually, which is good. I like that. It's missing a couple of what I think of as the most interesting features. So it, I don't know that it's quite there yet. And there are several companies that aren't startups, some of the big companies that kind of are developing something that will look a bit nicer. So I have hopes that we'll get there. But if you set out right this second to buy a nice, elegant, well-functioning emergency response system, I don't know that I can think of one to recommend in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we still have not quite gone to the point where there's something that is is going to be attractive and probably has the voice through the pendant and and isn't too big and unwieldy is what it sounds like. I, I think that's right. You know, I think there's a couple of use cases where maybe there's a nice example I could point you to. But in terms of the entire spectrum of things, we're still stuck with mostly rather ugly looking things. Mm-hmm. So people should be prepared to make trade-offs, it sounds like. Yep. And that even though we have all this promise with new technologies and the possibilities of making really sort of small, light devices, it hasn't quite gotten to uh, available products for purchase for um, uh, emergency alerts to be used in the home. And what else was I going to ask you? Well, for something that you think has good features, like let's say something that has the voice through the pendant, and I'll say right now that calls your friends and that you can use in your home with, with good range, how much should people expect to pay? And if you're not, if you're not having that professional call service, uh, do people still have to pay a monthly fee or is it just a matter of, of uh, purchasing the device up front? It's hard to be very specific because there's so many uh, different uh, possibilities here, but let me make a couple of comments. First of all, the ones that call your friends and not the professional um, responders, there are, there are only a handful of those. I think I've found, you know, I, I think if you look on our website, maybe there's five or six or something like that, but not hundreds. Um, and... I think it's true to say that all of those that I've found, their business model is there's an upfront fee to buy the hardware and that's it. You don't have a monthly fee. So that's kind of how those work. And the prices vary a bit. There are links on our website to the websites of the companies where you can find the prices. Um, I think the ones that I bought might have been, you know, between one and $200 to buy them and then nothing after that. So that's the ones that... that uh, call your friends. The ones with the fee, you know, they typically, some of them have an upfront fee, some of them don't, um, and they all kind of have a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. And some of them have contracts also that people need to uh, take into consideration, right? Uh, yes and no. 
So they used to often have contracts. And if you read the marketing websites of the companies, they always make a really big deal about how they do not have a contract because everyone else does. And <laughs> if you look at all 50 companies, you know, you'll find that most of them make a big deal about how all the other 49 have contracts and they don't. But they all say that, right? So there are one or two that still do have contracts, including the one that everyone knows about that advertises you know, heavily and has like fallen, I can't get up and all that. I believe they do have a contract. Um, but that's not the norm. The norm is no contract and you can cancel whenever you like. So, well, that's good to know that that uh, most of them are no longer locking people into um, into a contract. Well, I'm mindful of uh, the time. This has been such a uh, rich discussion. And um, I know also that you've uh, also looked into other technologies that aren't necessarily wearable that might help summon help in the event of an emergency in the home, but we might have to cover those in a future episode. Okay. Could you just talk a little bit more about what, what made you decide to found, uh, you and your colleagues, to found Tech Enhanced Life? I think it's just such a unique, unusual uh, organization, your group, mm-hmm. and that the work is really unique. And I would just love for you to tell us a little bit more about what made you interested in this and... and um, what you're hoping to do through Tech Enhanced Life. Okay. Well, that's a long conversation, but let me give you the short one. Um, so um, first, you know, I and the other, my other, you know, my colleagues that founded this, um, we're convinced that we're at a point in the development of technology where there's so many exciting things that could be done with existing with existing technology buried inside products so the technology is kind of opaque that can improve the quality of life of older adults. We think there's just huge potential, but that it's, you know, it's it's sort of not happening really as as fast as one would like. So there's this great opportunity and, and we're interested in, you know, trying to play a role there. And we've decided to start with this business of, you know, separating the good things from the bad things and stuff. That's one one aspect. The second aspect, though, um, and, and what gets me really excited about this is um, as we started playing around in this space, we discovered that there's this vast reservoir of older adults who have huge, you know, accumulated life experiences and wisdom and desire to make a difference and, you know, don't just want to play golf every day. They might want to play golf quite a few days, but not every day. They, they really want to you know, do stuff. And we think society has kind of um, cast them aside in a way, you know, uh, ruled out the opportunities for this group of people to really make, um, to be a meaningful part of of change and and of life. And so with Tech Enhanced Life, we're trying to um, take advantage of that. So we have these circles of older adults who are really interested in working on different technologies and um, exploring them and, you know, doing this comparative analysis. And um, we haven't quite decided exactly how this is all going to come together yet, but we think there's a role for these types of people to play in in changing the world, really, you know, helping making aging better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this idea that, um, you know, to take, I mean, first of all, a lot of these older adults, you know, um, may be interested in using these products and just sort of to get the people for whom the product is involved to give them that opportunity. It almost, I mean, it always leads to a better product and it's just a, it's a shame that it hasn't been more common to invite and facilitate the involvement of older adults in um, 
addressing things that are going to help make their lives better. It is. And I think that the bit that I'm excited about is, you know, everyone immediately starts thinking about, well, good, maybe we could take our finished product and show it to you know, some potential customers and see what they say. And, and that's, of course, good. But what I'm interested in is, you know, let's let's try and have us all involved at the beginning in the conceptualization of some new things. Oh, yeah, of course, because that's when the most important work is uh, is done, Yes. you know, and developing something that's going to be truly useful and usable. And we have such a need for those products. So I think it's fantastic that you're helping to lead this uh, effort, really innovative, really important. Um, well, Richard, thank you so very much. Um, let's just briefly close by uh, where can the audience learn more about you and your work? I'll post a, a link in the show notes, but just tell us your your favorite ways for people to find find more of, of uh, what you've been working on. Okay. So we have a website, which um, the address will be posted, it sounds like, but it's techenhancedlife.com. And that has... Uh, my bio and the bio of my founders, uh, co-founders, and uh, it has all this work we've been discussing today, and it has uh, information about these circles of older adults and quite a lot of other stuff too. So that's probably the place to go for people who would like to learn more. Okay, I would definitely post a link to that and then specifically to uh, the work you've done on these personal emergency response systems. Um, have you done any of these circles of older adults outside the Bay Area or are they all pretty much in the Bay Area for now? Well, they're all in California. We have one in Sacramento, which I guess is outside the Bay Area. Um, so we have right now we're running five different circles and um, four of them are in the Bay Area, one's in Sacramento. We've got some interest in expanding them to other parts of the country and even other places in the world, actually. But we haven't quite figured out the logistics of that. So we're, we're interested to do that. If any of your listeners think it sounds exciting and they're not in California and they'd like to chat, um, I'm open to that. But um, we, we haven't quite got as far as that. And I think also on the website, it's possible to sign up for um, a newsletter. And that might be another way to find out if, if you uh, expand those um, outside. That's true. The area where you are now, right? Absolutely. So, and I enjoy your newsletter because it you know, has uh, sometimes uh, information about new, um, new products that you and your, your colleagues have explored and, and other really interesting uh, information and work. So Richard, thank you once again for sharing all these insights about the technology. And um, we'll have to have you back sometime soon to talk about you know, more of what you've learned about technology that's useful for older adults. Thanks, Leslie. It was my pleasure. And I'd be happy to come back anytime. I hope you all enjoyed those insights from Richard Caro of Tech Enhanced Life. And if you have any interest in new technologies for older adults, I hope you'll take a look at their website. Lots of interesting information there. And I'll, of course, have a link to the selection tool for personal emergency response systems in the show notes. To find the show notes for this episode, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net, click podcast in the main menu at the top, and then you'll see the list of recent episodes. And you can click the title for this episode, and that will take you to the show notes. And of course, if you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, please post your question in the comments section under the show notes for the episode. Chances are that many other listeners will be wondering the same thing, so when you post your question on the site, that allows me to provide an answer that can be helpful to the entire audience. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes, and if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.